Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? It's a good day to be in church, right? That's right. Hey, listen, I'm so excited you're here. I don't think there's any better place that we could be than in church this morning. Um, we're in the middle of a really fun series. Um, a hard series, but a fun series. <laughs> and before we jump into that, I just want to take a moment to do some family business. Because how many of you know that church is so much more than just attending? It's about belonging, right? And church is family. It's what it's supposed to be. And and so we just have a little bit of a family announcement today that I, I have to share with you. On our keys, kind of hiding back there in the background, is Matt Gailey, who's been with us from the very beginning of the Movement Church as well. And he had a baby girl this week. Baby Bowen, what a beautiful name. He and his wife Amy have been a part of our church for quite some time, and look at how sweet she is. She's just beautiful, and so we just want to say congratulations. We love you, we love your family, and we're honored that you're here with us today. So tell Amy thank you for sharing you, because how many of you know what it's like to have a new baby in your house, (laughs) right? I saw some hands. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, so we're excited. And speaking of children, uh, one of the main priorities for us, I think Pastor Kerry just talked about this a moment ago, one of the main priorities for us at the Movement Church has been and will always be the next generation. It's, the reason behind this is not because those children will be great leaders, but it's because they are great leaders today. And so as a result, we funnel a lot of finances, as much as we possibly can, into inspiring and teaching and helping your children find purpose. In fact, I think there's probably some men and women in this room today who have a gift inside of you to unlock purpose in the lives of our kids and you're not yet serving on our kids' team. And I just gotta say, you're missing out, but so are they, because there's something inside of you that they need. And there's something about taking the time to invest in our kids from the youngest to the oldest and say, I believe in you, because Jesus has a great big plan for your life. And if that rings a bell with you, and maybe you love to teach, or maybe you just love brand new babies, like the picture we just showed, and and you would love to spend some time just holding babies and praying over them and believing for their future, you need to jump on our kids' team. I'm telling you, it's making a strategic impact in their lives. But we're not all just about the teaching component. Occasionally at the Movement Church, we like to have some fun. Anybody like to have some fun? A few of you. Y'all are a little bit boring this morning. Anybody like to have some fun? Come on. So coming up on August the 13th, directly after the 11 a.m. service, we are having a summer blast. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a blast. And this is a party for children of all ages, so you are included. And we're going to have inflatables, snow cones, churros. I mean, what is a party without a good churro? We are going to have balloon artists. And listen, for every child who attends, we have a free Movement Church fidget spinner. 
And I'm telling you, these are legit fidget spinners. I couldn't make one work until the Movement Church fidget spinners came in, and now I am a pro at using the fidget spinner. So I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss out, but don't come alone. This is a great opportunity for you to invite your friends. Invite your neighbors, the kids that your kids go to school with. Invite them to come along. We're going to hand you some invites as you leave today. But listen, one of the best ways you can invite people is to take a moment and text the word invite to the number that's on the screen. And we're going to send you a digital invitation. And then you can go through your contact list on your phone and text everyone and tell them that they've got to be here on, on August the 13th because it's going to be amazing. We are going to have a blast, literally, and you're not going to want to miss it. So make sure you mark your calendars, invite your friends. You're going to want to be here. It's going to be awesome. But we're going to go ahead now and dive into the message for today. And I just believe that God wants to do something in this room. I never think it's by accident that any one of us is here. I believe that God leans in closely to us individually and puts his finger on the areas of our life that we need him to move. And so today, I just want to invite you to open up your heart to what he might want to speak to you. You know, we're in the middle of this series called Freeway. We're just talking about how in every story, in your story and in my story, there's beauty and there's pain. And you can't escape either one. But the good news is, is that Jesus didn't die so that you would have to live a life of slavery to your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. There's hope. There is an answer. And Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could know the free way. And that's what this journey, freeway, is all about. And the goal of this series is freedom. But to get there, we've got to learn to face our fears the lies that we're constantly hearing in our own head, the unresolved pain, the hurts from the past, which means we've got to learn to trust God. And I want to encourage you, don't miss a week of this series. I know you may have vacations planned, and that's okay if you're gone on vacation. Listen to the podcast, and you'll catch up. Because listen, God has something big in store for us in the midst of what we're discovering right now. And if you're not in a connect group, it's not too late to jump in because our connect group is going through this very series, this book called Freeway. And we're talking about steps that will lead us to freedom. In fact, we're talking about six simple steps that will ultimately lead us to freedom. And Pastor Kerry unpacked step one two weeks ago where we talked about awareness. And he said, awareness increases when hurry decreases. And hurry decreases when contentment increases. What a profound thought. Hurry decreases when contentment increases. And awareness increases when hurry decreases. And what that does is it opens our eyes and leads us into step two, which is discovery. Because when we become more aware, we begin to realize that there are some pieces in our life that might be a little bit busted up or broken. There might be some areas in our life that we've experienced pain. And when we begin to discover that, then we have an option on what to do with it. And Pastor Kerry talked about last week how we have a choice to make. We have to have the wisdom to look at our past and realize that it's not our past if it's still affecting us. 
And then we have to have the courage to deal with the present and the faith to know that healing is possible. It is possible. And so when we begin to discover these areas of our life that need some work, we've got a choice to make. And the choice is, am I going to run from the issues or the problems? Am I going to run from the pain that's in my past? Am I going to run from the hurts and the wounds that I've been carrying around with me? Am I going to try to hide them, to put on a facade and look like everything's okay? Am I going to blame somebody else for the issues and the circumstances that I'm experiencing? Or am I going to get to step number three, which is ownership? And step number three is where you and I begin to take personal responsibility for the things in our life. And I just think this message could be a little challenging for all of us today, me included. But I want to ask you if you would be willing just to say, God, what are you trying to say to me today? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'd like to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person in this room this morning. God, I thank you that it's not an accident that any one of us is here. God, I thank you that you are here and that you want to speak directly to each and every one of us. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you have to say, our ears to hear, our eyes to see. And God, help us know what's the one thing that you want to address in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. For those of you who are here and you're like, I don't know what everybody says. We said amen just simply because it means I agree. But uh, my husband likes to say, you can say whatever you want. So sometimes we say, and everybody said, and you can reply, what, what? Try it. All right. Now, I hope you guys are awake this morning and ready to have some fun. Um, I've got to tell you, I have a confession to make as we get started. I am not a good driver. You're laughing, but I don't know if you are a good driver either. This is the thing. And this morning, as I was driving into church, I found myself literally doing the very thing that I was about to get up here on the platform and preach about. Because as I'm driving up Crown Valley to get on the five, the person in front of me was going so slow. And I am like, what is wrong with you? Go! Anybody ever been there? Or when you're driving down the five and everybody is driving slower than they should be, especially when you get into the carpool lane, because public service announcement, announcement the, the carpool lane is meant to help people with more than one person in their car go faster than the rest of the traffic. And when you get in the carpool lane and it's going slower than the traffic beside you, that is an issue. And I find myself on the five behind slow drivers going, you idiot, what are you thinking? Go, I am not a very patient person. And then, have you ever been driving behind those slow people and being frustrated with how slow they're driving in front of you? And then somebody in like a fancy sports car, or one of the guys on the motorcycle goes like whizzing past you. And then you're like, you crazy person, you are a maniac, you're gonna die. Anybody? Why is it that some people are going too slow and some people are just crazy and going too fast, but my speed is the right speed? 
right? You see, this has just been our condition since the beginning, since Adam and Eve. And part of what we're going to talk about today is ownership. And taking ownership means that I stop blaming God and others for my circumstances. Taking ownership means that I stop blaming God and others for my circumstances. You know, Carrie and I have two daughters. One is 13 and one is 8. And unfortunately for them, they will always be the object of our illustrations and messages. So I've prepared them in advance that this is coming. But we have these two girls, and we've taught them a lot in life, right? We've taught them how to be potty trained, thank God. We've taught them to ride bikes. We've taught them uh, how to read. We've taught them how to share. Um, we still need to teach my eight-year-old the difference between right and left. I found out yesterday. You've got to be kidding me. One day we will be teaching them how to drive. But the thing that we have never had to teach them, we've never had to teach them how to blame. From the moment that they were little, this has been the story in our home. And I will never forget my youngest, Avery, when she was two or three years old, playing with a little toy, like one of those Polly Pocket type of toys. And you were trying to put the house together, the pieces together. And she was trying with her little fingers for quite some time to put it together, and it just wasn't working. And then all of a sudden, I saw her take it up and throw it on the table and say, bad toy, as if it was the toy's fault, right? And my daughter, Brooklyn, who's here and knows that I'm about to talk about her, is pretty notorious for this. Because anything that ever goes wrong in her world is always her sister's fault. So no matter what has happened, I will never forget she was sitting in the car one day with her phone and like some books on her lap. And she stood up to get out of the car and everything fell to the ground, including the cell phone. And her first response was, Avery! Like it was Avery's fault! But don't we do this too, right? Some of you guys that have been playing a video game and you're getting to the place where you're about to beat the next level and your wife calls to you from the other room and you die and then you're like, babe, babe, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been like folding laundry and getting this neat pile to carry to a bedroom and Carrie calls my name from somewhere and I bump into a wall and it falls and I'm like, Carrie, like it's his fault. But this is our natural response, isn't it? Our natural response, our natural reaction is to place blame. And I think this started in the very beginning of time. And if you'll go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It's kind of a long passage of scripture, but I'd like to unpack it for you. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we may eat of the trees, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I mean, their first effort was to cover up what they had done. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, this is God we're talking about, right? He knew where they were, but yet he calls out to him, Where are you? And Adam replies, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Why is it that our, our first reaction when we make a mistake, when we make poor choices, is to naturally want to, to hide, to cover up, to do whatever we can do, to not have to face the fact that we know we've just made a mistake? But I also want to focus in there on this one word, I hid myself. For Adam, this became a self-effort to try to deal with the mistake that he had made, the shame that he was feeling. He felt like he in himself had to deal with it. And how many times do you or I think that everything is reliant upon us? And so then God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, God didn't have to ask the question. He knew the answer. But he asks this question, and it's a simple yes or no response. Have you eaten of the tree which I told you not to eat? And then the man says, the woman which you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the, I hear a lot of amens. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, people have made this observation for years that for the woman to be deceived, it took a serpent, it took the devil for the woman to be deceived. For the man to be deceived, it just took a naked woman. She's like, here's an apple, and he's like, oh, you're naked, I'll eat. Somebody earlier said to me, that was the last time a woman ever knew what she wanted to eat. It's like, well, yeah, that's probably true. But here in the story, we see a lot of blaming going on, don't we? We see a lot of blaming going on, and this is why you and I are so good at the blame game. It's part of our spiritual bloodstream. We like to minimize our guilt by making others look bad. And here's the thing about Adam and Eve. They were telling the truth. They were telling the truth, but they were making excuses as a means of avoiding personal responsibility. You see, as long as Adam could blame Eve, he didn't feel as bad about himself. And as long as Eve could blame the serpent, she was kind of the innocent victim here. You see, we learn something in this passage of Scripture. We learn, number one, that we, the tendency to blame others, is deeply ingrained in the human nature. We learn that when we are left to ourselves, we'll do anything to avoid taking personal responsibility. We learn that blaming others is often nothing more than a subtle twisting of the truth in order to take the heat off ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Adam and Eve, they weren't lying. They were presenting the truth, but taking the heat off of themselves. Don't we do that? 
And lastly, we learn that without a deep working of the grace of God within us, we will do exactly what Adam and Eve did. You know, there's a word in the uh, American culture, and this word is victimism. Victimism. And what that means is, victimism is when you constantly blame other people for everything that is wrong in your life. When you constantly blame other people for everything that is wrong in your life. You see, this is where the message gets a little bit difficult, and maybe we start to feel like, well, that's not me. I don't, I don't do that. Let me ask you something. Why do we explain away every situation we are ever in? Why do, we, why do we feel the need to justify, to say, well, I've been treated unfairly. I've been treated unfairly, or maybe I was dealt a lousy hand in life. How many of us are guilty of saying, well, I, I was the middle child. I just wasn't loved as much as my older brother or my younger sister, right? We blame. We blame in family. Maybe some of us find ourselves blaming, my parents were divorced, so I don't know how to have a healthy relationship. It's their fault. We blame our spouses. My husband doesn't know how to communicate. And every single time we get into an argument, we get to the same place over and over and over again because he can't figure out how to communicate. It's his fault. Maybe it's your wife. and You blame your wife thinking she always blows everything out of proportion. If she could just get her emotions under control, we would not have as much conflict as we have, right? We blame in the church. We blame the pastors who are communicating. It's their fault that I'm not growing spiritually. If they weren't preaching such a deep message, I might actually understand it. Or maybe we blame them because we say, they're preaching such a shallow message, I'm just not getting anything out of it. We like to place the blame, don't we? We blame the reason that we're not connected because everybody around us, well, they're just, they're just kind of a click, and I just really don't fit in. And you see people post a picture on Instagram or Facebook hanging out together, and you think, well, I wasn't invited. That's because they're not very inclusive. It's their problem, not mine. We blame our schools. It's my teacher's fault that my child doesn't know right from left. We blame politics, right? It's those greedy Republicans or it's those liberal Democrats, don't we? We blame our work. When we fail to get a report in on time, we, we say, well, I was just waiting for Rob in accounting to get me the information that I needed and he didn't get it to me on time, so I couldn't do what I needed to do. We like to place the blame. We blame our bosses when we lose our job. Well, they didn't like me in the first place. They had it out, to me, out for me in the beginning. Isn't it interesting? Some of you in this room who've had a different job every few years, you've been let go, you've had to quit. Man, you have the worst luck. Like, it is just not fair. And of course it has nothing to do with you, even though you're the common denominator in this story. We blame that we didn't get our homework done because my friend borrowed my book so I couldn't get it done in time. We blame getting angry because they provoked me to anger. We blame ending a relationship because it's not me, it's them. They've got emotional issues. You see, we've learned early on to have the victim's battle cry. It's not my fault. 
But let me tell you, Movement Church, you cannot blame your way to freedom. Let me say that again. You cannot blame your way to freedom. You see, most of us don't want to take personal responsibility for the things that happen in our life. But in order to own it, we have to stop blaming God and stop blaming others for our circumstances. I know that can feel frustrating. And I want to read to you a section of this book that we've been going through in the book Freeway. It's on ownership, and it's on page 111. And it says this, On our path to freedom, nothing unlocks more opportunity in our lives than the basic act of taking responsibility. No matter what has happened, either positive or negative, you get to decide what life looks like from here on out. Those painful things that happened to you in your past are not your fault, but they are your responsibility. Wow. And at this point, in a very quiet room, some people are feeling frustrated. There's some situations that maybe you've walked through in your past that were not your fault. In fact, I would imagine that every person in this room has a story in which in some moment you were the victim. And there may have been some things that happened to you that were not right and they were not fair and they should have never happened. But this is where we get to decide. Taking ownership means that I courageously decide that it may not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. Let me say that again. It may not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. On page 112, the book says this, when we fail to take ownership of our lives, the greatest enemy of our freedom is not the obvious abusive alcoholic father or that jerk who stabbed us in the back or even the devil. For most, the enemy is far more dangerous than those could ever be. We have met the enemy, and he is us. Tragically, our past hurts teach us how to hurt ourselves over and over again, and it becomes this vicious, self-destructive cycle. Yet ownership isn't about blame for where the hurt came from. It's about taking responsibility for where do I go from here. But here's the problem. Some of us would rather be right than be better. Some of us would rather be justified than actually move forward. Some of us would rather assign blame than actually be healed. You know, I have a friend who lives in the country, basically, and where they live, there's like hardly any stoplights. And at their railroad tracks, they don't have the bars that come down that prevent you from driving through when the train is coming by. And um, they told me a story recently about having gone out on a date a few years ago. And as they went out on the date, they're familiar with the town that they live in. And they knew as you're coming up to the railroad crossing that you need to look for trains and listen for the sound. And and as they're coming up to the crossing, they could see a train in the distance that was coming, and they could hear the sound, the choo-choo sound of the horn being blown, and, and so they came to a stop. 
But a car that was coming up behind them didn't see the train and didn't hear the sound and wasn't familiar with this area. And so they came cruising on past. And in the moment when they realized that the train was coming and they hit the brakes, they slid into a spot where their tires got caught on the railroad tracks. And the train threw the brakes on because it saw the car in the middle of the tracks. But you and I both know that it takes a train a while to slow down. And so the train is coming up and it hits the car and knocks the car forward a few hundred feet as it comes to a stop. And my friends jumped out of their car, as did everyone else that was around them. And they ran to the other side of the tracks to find out if this person was okay. And miraculously, this man that was driving had been thrown from the driver's seat out the back window and was still alive, but was extremely injured. And so people that are running around began to yell out orders. And you began hearing someone yell, call the police. And somebody else yelled in response, no, call the ambulance. And while that sounds like the same thing for you and me, just call 911 and get somebody there, right? It's interesting that somebody yelled out, call the police. And in reply, they got, no, call an ambulance. This man needs to get to the hospital. He needs to be healed. You know, I've been in a handful of fender benders in my life. And when I've been in these accidents, we've called the police. Why? Because we need to assess blame. We need to figure out who's at fault here so we know whose insurance company is going to take care of this. And as this situation unfolded, someone's yelling, call the police, and someone's replying, no, not the police, call an ambulance. Because listen, oftentimes in our life, when we have been hurt very badly, when we have been wounded very badly, when we have been treated unfairly, our natural inclination is to call the police. Why? Because we feel that we need to assess blame. We feel that if we can assess blame, we can feel justified in the situation where we are at. But really, all we need is healing. You see, it doesn't matter who's at fault. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. What you need right now is healing. In the book of John, chapter 5, verse 1 through 8, we see Jesus coming into a situation where he addresses this very thing. And it says this, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going there, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And while you may not understand why this story is so relevant, and you may wonder, doesn't Jesus know everything? Why would he ask the man, do you want to be healed? Here he was at this place, which I don't have time to unpack the full history for you, but people would come to this place. And it was said that at a certain time during the day, something would stir the waters. And if you got into the waters first, you would be healed. And so this man had been coming to this place for 38 years. 
He had been here paralyzed, in need of healing. And you and I would think, why did Jesus have to ask him, do you want to be healed? But yet that's the very question that Jesus asks. And I just wonder if Jesus is probing at the level of the will. If he's essentially saying this, stop blaming other people. I have the power to make you well. And I am standing right here in front of you. But I will not use this power until you decide that you want to be well. Jesus asked this man this question because healing is possible. Healing, freedom is available. But Jesus understands that this man is going to have to make a mental shift. He understands there is a cost involved to your healing. He says, because if I heal you, things are going to change. If I heal you, things are going to be different. You can't be a beggar anymore. And you've spent 38 years of your life sitting here day after day begging. 38 years. This has become your identity. And some of you in this room have been carrying around hurts and pains for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. And it's become your identity. And when we talk about freedom and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? We have to acknowledge that if we say yes, things are going to change. This man can't be a beggar anymore. His whole identity is going to be shifted. There's going to be no more sympathy for this same issue anymore. So Jesus says, do you want to be well? Because if you do, there's a price to pay. You're going to have to let go of the need to constantly tell your sob story. You're going to have to let go of the need to be living in the pain of your past and using, as an, using it as an excuse to justify the decisions that you make, the poor choices, the emotional breakdowns. It's going to remove the identity that was assigned to you and give you a new identity. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? Because there's a price to pay. We're going to have to give up our job as injustice collectors. You're going to have to give up endlessly repeating how you've been hurt your entire life, how everyone has mistreated you, you're going to have to stop looking at this world as though it's hostile and always unfair towards you. Do you want to be healed? You're going to have to give up your grudge. You're going to have to forgive some people. And some of you wouldn't know what to do without your grudge. You don't want to put it down. It's become part of your identity. It's your motivation in life. Some of you are going to have to have some close friendships again. You're going to have to start trusting people again. You're going to have to stop keeping everybody at an arm's length, not letting them get close enough because you don't want to be hurt. Do you want to be healed? You're going to have to give up getting sympathy from people and hearing, I just don't know how you do it. You're walking through so much. I mean, man, how do you even survive? You're going to have to give up 
do you want to be healed? There is freedom. And I just believe that in this moment, in this church, I believe that Jesus stands before you and me and gives us this choice and asks us this question, do you want freedom? This is the one thing in this life, there is only one thing that can give you the courage to rise above the hurt, to rise above the guilt, to rise above the voice of shame and condemnation. The only thing that is going to give you the courage to step up and say, yes, I want to be healed, is to know that you are loved by God. You're loved by God. No matter your story, no matter your past, you are loved. Absolutely unconditionally forever and if we can make this truth the foundation of our life it allows God to take all the pieces of our past the good the bad the ugly and help us rise above so let me ask you has your focus been more on calling the police on assigning blame have you been hurt and maybe it wasn't fair, maybe it wasn't just, maybe it wasn't your fault, but you just keep wanting to point the finger. If only. You know, on page 113 of this book, it says this, we cannot unsee what we've seen. We cannot unlive what we've lived. We can, however, with the strength of the one who conquered death on your behalf and mine, move forward. You know, there's a, a funny statement that a man named Dr. Seuss himself wrote. He said, you have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be healed? Taking ownership means that I stop blaming God and others for my circumstances. And I courageously decide that it may not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. I believe that God wants to bring freedom in this place today and healing in this place. But you've got to ask yourself the question, am I willing to set aside the pain that I've carried, the hurts that I've nursed, the things that have become my identity? Am I willing to step into something new? Because I believe God has great plans for your future. Your past is your past, but your future is bright. But do you want to be healed? Would you do me a favor and bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray for you today. And I'm going to ask every person in this room, just quietly in your own seat, just to take a moment and be introspective. Just let God put his finger on the areas of your life that he wants to make well. Where have you been holding on to blame? 
what do you need to let go of today? And I believe there's some people in this room who you have walked through things that are unimaginable, that nobody should have to ever face, and it was not fair. But I believe that Jesus is a good father. He's our healer. He is our hope. And if you're here today, and you know you could use that healing, and you want to walk in freedom, I'd like to pray for you. So I'm just going to ask you to slip your hands up so I know who I'm praying for. If you're here today and you know I need to be healed, I need to walk in some areas of freedom, if that's you, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? Awesome. Hands all over the room. Lord Jesus, I just come before you right now in this place. God, I thank you that you are our healer. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you see all the areas of our story. You see our choices and our mistakes. You see the things that have been so unfairly and unjustly done to us. And God, you still say there is hope. There is a future. So God, in this place today, I am just asking that you would move in this place. God, I'm asking that you would bring healing to the broken places in our lives. God, to the pieces that we have held onto that are no longer ours to carry. God, I am asking for healing in Jesus' name. God, I am praying for restoration. God, I just ask that in this room right now, now that hope would rise. God, that you would lift the eyes of the man and woman that is in this room that just needs to know that there is hope, that their yesterday is yesterday, and that tomorrow, God, you have good things for them. So God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bring freedom in this place. And God, we make a decision today as a church to stop holding on to the past, to stop assessing blame, and to say, God, I'm going to do what it takes to move forward, because I've got the choice to move into my future. God, I take radical responsibility, God, for what you have for my life. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do a work in this room and that you would touch each and every person right where they're at. God, I already know that you are moving. And I just pray that you would continue the process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And look at me for just one more minute. You may be here today, and this may be your, your first time in church, or maybe it's just the first time in a long time, and I don't know what your faith journey has looked like, and maybe you hear the, the message that's taught, and you can identify, and you recognize that there's some places inside of you even that need healing and freedom, but you might be here today and have never made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus to stop trying to do it all on your own and to give him the opportunity to step in. You see, healing is possible and freedom is possible, but it's not possible outside of Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to keep pointing the finger of blame at ourselves or at others any longer. Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross teaches us that the cross powerfully conquers all victimhood. And Jesus paid a price for you and for me. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. It's a free gift. And if you're here today and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to pray one more prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room just one more time to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today 
and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus, today's your day. Don't keep going another day trying to do it on your own. I promise you it doesn't work out. And maybe you're here today and you've just been running from God. In fact, maybe some of the hurts and hangups that you have are because of some wounds that you've experienced in the church. And I'm here today to tell you that there is a God in heaven who sees you, who loves you, who calls you by name, and it's time to come back to him. So as I pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you in your own hearts, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for giving your life on a cross to pay the price for my sin. Today, I'm making a decision to stop trying to do this all on my own. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.